I recently met up with an international trade economist from Peru. I had been a huge fan of her research for a while, but we had never met. She started by describing to me the origins of some of her work. Some of my friends were working, you know, at a competition authority in Peru. They were telling me about an uh, anti-dumping case that they have with China. When she said the words anti-dumping in China and friends, my ears perked up. Had I finally found someone else whose dinner party conversations also revolved around whether local companies were injured by low-priced imports from China? They told me, well, the government realized that the domestic industry wasn't hurt. And this was not what I was seeing because all the clothes that I saw in Peru were from China. I was hooked, especially when she then admitted to looking up a 2004 anti-dumping report from Peru's government. The government indeed in 2004 said, well, yes, it is true that now most of the clothes that are sold in Peru are Chinese, but everything is fine. And they cited this huge export boom that Peruvian firms had as the source of a new set of revenues. Let me get this straight. Back in 2004, low-priced Chinese imports had both cut off the clothing sales of Peru's firms at home and caused Peru's clothing industry to have an export boom? This was amazing. I asked this economist to please come on Trade Talks and tell us the rest of the story. Pamela Medina Quispe, I'm an assistant professor of economics at the University of Toronto Scarborough. I was born and raised in Lima, Peru. I am Peruvian. Um, I did my undergrad in Peru in economics in the Catholic University there. And then I moved to North Carolina to do my PhD at Duke. You are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade and policy. I'm your host, Chad Bound, the Reginald Jones Senior Fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics in Washington. On this week's show, we're going to speak with Pamela Medina Quispe. Pamela is an incredibly creative trade economist and professor at the University of Toronto. Today, she is going to tell us two important stories about Peru. The first is about that Peruvian export boom. The second is about women working in Peru's labor force. What brings these stories together is how opening up to trade with China forced this small, middle-income country in South America to have to change. Hi, Pamela. Hi, Chad. I'm very happy to be here. Part one, how China pushed Peru into exporting. Tell us about Peru, you know, in the 1990s, really, when the story starts. Well, in the 1990s, Peru was in a time of recovery. We have just had the 80s, which was the lost decade in Latin America. In our lost decade, we have a program of industrialization by import substitution. So that was out. And then 90s were a decade of opening to trade, a lot of privatizations, and a lot of push in investment, foreign investment in, into Peru. So a lot of emphasis in trying to rebuild 
the manufacturing industry and reinsert Peru to the world. Peru's openness to imports and trade was also going through some changes during the 1990s. So we came from a place where the economy was pretty close to imports. And then we changed our mind and we decided to start uh, liberalizing imports. So we have a trade liberalization in 1993. Peru started to sign some trade agreements with the countries in the region, Mercosur, and becoming part of the Andean community. Peru goes from being a pretty closed economy in the 1980s, its lost decade, to privatizing and being more open to trade and foreign direct investment in the 1990s. What happened? This worked. By the end of the 1990s, Peru was already a middle-income country. So it was in in the starting of a path of like sustained growth when we think about the 2000s. We always had uh, a good agribusiness industry. And of course, commodities were were booming at that time. For agribusiness and commodities, what is Peru known for? Commodities, it's one of the biggest producers of copper and gold. And for agribusiness, asparagus is a success story. Exporting asparagus to the world, we did not, in Peru, asparagus is not a thing, was not a thing at that moment. Everything that was produced was mostly exported. Peru's asparagus is pretty good. I had some for dinner last night just to fact-check Pamela here. Stepping back, let's recap where we are. By the late 1990s, Peru is a more open economy. Overall, it is making progress. Peru has become a middle-income country of about 26 million people with fairly decent economic growth. At the time, Peru also had one pretty important industry in the manufacturing sector. The apparel industry really the main market for apparel in Peru, which was very large, was the domestic market. So that nobody else was catering to the Peruvian domestic market. It was only Peruvian firms. We had some exports, but the exports were minimal. Now, in 2001, as every Trade Talks listener knows, China became a full-fledged member of the World Trade Organization. This came after a long period of Chinese negotiations, especially with government officials from the United States. For Peru, China becoming a WTO member meant that Peru's government had to reduce the import tariffs charged to Chinese companies. Peru's tariffs on China could no longer be higher than its tariffs on companies and every other country that was already a member of the WTO. For Peru in clothes, the impact of that tariff cut was huge. Basically, China flooded the domestic economy with clothes. When China entered the WTO, most of the clothes sold in Peru were made by Peruvian firms. If you want to think about 2010, 70% of the clothes that are sold in Peru were from Chinese origin. So this was a massive shock. They took over the whole domestic market. Now, in a lot of countries, when something like that happens the domestic industry starts screaming and yelling and saying that these imports coming in from China are dumped, I'm injured. Peru's a member of the WTO. It's got access to anti-dumping duties and safeguards. Did it turn 
to those kinds of policies to stop those imports from coming in? Peruvian apparel firms did try to stop Chinese imports several times during the 2000s. The most successful one was in 2003, where they managed to impose 200-day temporary safeguards. For followers of U.S. trade policy, 200 days of protection would hardly be called successful. For these kinds of policies designed to stop import competition, some U.S. anti-dumping duties have now been in place for over 30 years. Even the safeguard tariffs that President Trump imposed on solar panels and washing machines have now been on for almost five years. Anyway. In the early 2000s, Peru's government was investigating whether its domestic apparel industry was injured following WTO rules. The government was looking at the data to try to decide whether Peru's clothing sector was hurt and whether those temporary import restrictions should stay in place. They published their report, and the reason the government gave for removing that import restriction after only 200 days was fascinating. The government recognized that China took over the domestic market, but also found that Peruvian firms were exporting much more than before, and this was a new source of revenues that meant that, as a whole, the apparel industry wasn't doing that bad. So we have this puzzle that all of a sudden we have this massive surge in imports of clothing into Peru from China, and yet Peru is now exporting clothing. Where is Peru exporting this clothing to? Is it just exporting to China? No, actually Peru does not export much clothes to China. So it was not the case that there was a new market opportunities for Peruvian firms to go to. They are exporting mostly to the U.S., which was already a previous uh, trade partner. This was weird. Peru suddenly had booming exports of clothes to the United States. Pamela checked, and it wasn't like the U.S. government changed its trade policy in a way that would explain this sudden increase. Someday, the U.S. and Peru would have a free trade agreement, but that was much later. A change in U.S. trade policy was just not the explanation. What did you do next? So I check the data and look what is Peru exporting into the United States. And I found that it's not only that Peruvian firms are shifting their production to sell it to the foreign market, but they are shifting what they sell as a whole. And they are shifting to higher quality products. So we've seen this story from other contexts, right? When faced with competition from China, firms adjust and they do things differently and some of them move into higher quality versions of what it was that they were doing before. So what are some of the ways that that higher quality materializes? In other contexts, we have seen firms adjusting to import competition by importing better, higher quality inputs and using them to upgrade their quality of the output. That's one avenue. The other avenue is that firms change their composition of workers to higher skilled workers in order to move in the quality ladder. Earlier research had looked at how U.S. companies, for example, responded to the same sort of new import competition from China. 
Some found that American companies started to import better machines or robots to pivot and differentiate their products from having to compete head-to-head with China. Other research found that firms sometimes hired more highly skilled workers to move up the quality ladder. So which one of those did Peru do? Neither. Peruvian firms were adversely affected by this shock. I mean, this was clearly a huge import competition shock. They lost their domestic market. These firms have already invested in some capacity, in some machinery. So think about these firms have already 100 sewing machines in place. And when the China shock hits, they see their market gone, but they still have these idle sewing machines lingering around. And there is an option to uh, either leave the market and lose everything. But there is another option for Peruvian firms is that to try to say, well, what can we produce with these sewing machines, nothing else than apparel. But you know what? We have this high-quality input that maybe it's not competing head-to-head with China. What about if we move towards this product? What was the high-quality input? Pima cotton. So this is uh, the cool thing about being Peruvian. We know that we have this native high-quality material in Peru, which is Pima cotton. You can think about this cotton as being the same quality as Egyptian or Sea sea Island cotton. It's the highest quality that you can get. In the United States, we've got a lot of cotton. I think it's called upland cotton. What makes Pima cotton better than upland cotton? Pima cotton, it's great. Um, It's an extra-long staple cotton. If you compare it with upland cotton, upland cotton, which is the biggest crop of cotton in the world, would be short length. Pima cotton is more durable. It has a greater breathability, greater dyeing properties, so the color in your T-shirt will look better. In general, it's softer and it lasts longer. It's just amazing. Everything you could possibly want from cotton. Okay, you've convinced me. Where is Pima cotton grown? What makes it so special? Pima cotton is grown in three parts of the world, so mostly in Peru, in some parts of the U.S., and in Australia. It's very particular in the terms of like temperature and soil that you need in order to grow it. In the U.S., it's grown in Anisora. Sounds like a good story. How do you verify it in the data? First, I look at the aggregates to see whether it was the case that firms were not adjusting at all their machinery uh, or their capital. And it seems like there are no investments in new capital, even though you are now producing higher quality goods. There is no change in compositions of workers. So firms are using the same workers that they had before, no higher skilled workers. And then I go to the microdata. I look at the firm level service that exists in Peru, and I merge it with customs data to see what are they exporting. And what I find is that firms that were more exposed to this China shock, they are the ones that are increasing their exports. And not any export, they are increasing this export of high-quality Peruvian apparel. At the same time, you see their domestic sales decreasing with this domestic shock, which is what we see in the aggregate. 
and we see that there is no impact. So they are not changing at all the number of factors that they use. So they are not sh changing the number of sewing machines that they had before, and they are not changing uh, the type of employment that they were hiring. In Peru's apparel sector, companies did not hire different types of workers or buy better sewing machines, but they had to do something. This new competition from China was causing Peruvian companies to lose all the profits they used to earn from selling clothes in the domestic market. So these companies took their idle sewing machines and their workers, found the amazing Pima cotton, and upgraded the quality of the t-shirts and other clothes that they were making. Now, Peru's population is fairly small, and it is still an emerging economy, so there just wasn't enough higher-income people at home to buy up all the amazing new clothing made from Pima cotton that Peruvian companies really needed to sell to stay in business, since they could no longer compete with China. So they started exporting to the United States, which has a big market of wealthier consumers. The main point here is that there are two things going on at the same time in response to the China shock. First, Peruvian companies upgraded the quality of their clothing. Second, they were forced to find new export markets to sell to. Unfortunately, not all of Peru's clothing companies would figure this out. Many of them would be forced to lay off their workers, exit, and go out of business. I asked Pamela which types of firms were able to take advantage of this opportunity by doing these two things at once. There is some exit from the small firms. Who takes advantage of this are the firms that are uh, the more productive or the biggest firms, the ones that they could eventually export because export is still costly. So just to give you an idea of like how big this was, for the incumbent firms, the firms that were already exporting on average from 2001 to 2004, they were increasing their annual exports by 100% every year. Are there other countries that faced a kind of similar situation as Peru that just performed differently after they were faced with a similar China shock? Yes, a good example is Colombia. Colombia also had a traditionally large apparel industry that catered their domestic market and were flooded with uh, Chinese clothes. And that industry shrank relatively fast. They did not uh, manage to differentiate the product or escape competition. And just recently, they have done so, not with a different material, but investing in design and being more boutique. What do you think are the main lessons learned here for other emerging economies? The key thing for Peruvian firms to be able to to shift, to escape competition from China was the existence of a very close to home, high quality input that allowed them to differentiate their product. Other economies couldn't do this. And the question is why? They could have like imported this Pima cotton from Peru. It's readily available for everybody. But of course it was more costly to do so. In the event of a competition shock, I think it's important for governments to think about what firms can do to escape this competition, where they can go to differentiate the product, 
and help get some access into the supply chain of these key inputs. Another potential lesson is to think about governments helping firms, where are they going to sell these products? Right? So if Peruvian firms did not have access to the U.S. market, even if they managed to differentiate the product to high-quality goods, it was going to be a, a hurdle for them to, to get profits from that in the domestic market. Part two, how China affected women in Peru's workforce. Opening up the trade with China shocked the companies operating in Peru. In Peru's clothing sector, some companies did okay. They adjusted by making clothing out of Pima cotton and were able to replace some of their lost domestic revenues with exports. Other Peruvian companies did not adjust and they went out of business. Overall, opening up the trade with China went beyond the companies. It also had a massive impact on Peru's workers and its labor market. For over a decade, economists around the world have used China's entry into the WTO as a sort of laboratory to study the impact of increased trade on workers. Most of this research has looked at workers in high-income countries like the United States. What happened to American jobs, American wages, and participation in the American labor force? And in these countries, the China shock has mostly affected uh, manufacturing industries that traditionally are men-intensive. So it's natural that when we think about what is the effect of workers, the effect that we see is basically on male workers. Research that only speaks to the impact on male workers is a problem. But it is an especially big problem for a country like Peru. Peru is just a different story. In Peru, women were much more exposed to the new import competition from China than were women in the United States. We have booming industries in manufacturing, very important industries like apparel or footwear, um, where there is an important proportion of females in the labor, in the labor force. Um, but also we have other manufacturing industries where men uh, are uh, the majority of, of that workforce. And I think this is a really nice setup to understand if there is a gender effect of trade in workers because you potentially have women affected by this trade shock as well. This was not uh, the case for, for developed economies. Why is it important to understand the gender dimension? We have consistent evidence that the labor market for male and for women are substantially different in terms of where do they locate, in what industries do they locate, what types of jobs and occupations do they have, as well as how difficult it is for them to find jobs. So there might be a differentiated effect. It's just that we haven't been able to look at it in other contexts. Economists have lots of evidence that women have very different labor market experiences when compared to men. There is discrimination in the form of fewer opportunities, lower pay, and fewer chances at promotion. But we don't yet have a good enough understanding of why. One way to study the why question is to look at these big, unexpected shocks that force workers to change what they are doing. That gives researchers like economists and environment 
Again, it's sort of like a little laboratory in which to learn. One problem, though, is that in the U.S. laboratory, the peculiarities of the China shock that it mostly hit manufacturing sectors dominated by men meant that researchers could really only learn how it affected male workers. Peru was different. In Peru, the sudden increase in Chinese imports affected both men and women. And we saw that China was a big source of <laughs> disruption in imports for, for, for the apparel sector. What other sectors were heavily exposed? Sectors that were very affected by China were apparel, of course, footwear, furniture, toys, and some telecommunications equipment. Less affected were food and beverages, as well as some metal-related industries. We described how, in general, Peru is, is growing. The macroeconomy is growing during this kind of period. But what sectors of the economy are going to be expanding? Commodities are going to be expanding. Uh, minerals, for sure, it's going to be expanding. Within manufacturing, anything related to minerals, so metals, primary metals, it's going to be expanding, as well as the agricultural food and beverage manufacturing industry. Services is going to be expanding as well. So service sector in Peru, it's, it, it's a mix. So there is one part that is very similar to, to what you think that it's happening in developed countries, that it's like financial services that are, let's say, IT intensive and are, these are good jobs. But there is also this other part of services, which is more like retail, which is very associated with informality. So these might be jobs that are low quality. What's wrong with the informal sector in Peru during, the, during this period? This comes in different ways. So you could not have just health insurance, or you could be in a position that it's very dire, working a lot of hours with a with salary that it's below the minimum wage, with no health or social security benefits at all. So Peru is hit with the China shock. If things had gone well, for, for, you know, all workers in Peru during this period, what might we have expected to have happen? So when the China shock hit Peru, the best case scenario would be that, well, there are some sectors in manufacturing that are going to be heavily affected. So they are shrinking. They will lay, lay off some workers, but these workers will move quickly, we hope, to expanding sectors in the economy, either to services or to these other industries, manufacturing industries that saw in the opening of China some opportunity. So that's the ideal situation. If you're a Peruvian you know, labor market minister in 2001, should you have been worried? Why are things more complicated for Peru? The worry for these workers is that the expanding sectors that are supposed to be the jobs that they are going to are for some reason different for men and women. So just to give you an idea, in apparel, the ratio of women to men will be seven to one. This is one of the most impacted industries. The expanding sector side, if you think about only manufacturing, these are very male-dominated industries. That is a problem. If you think about services, um, then women have a higher uh, ratio to men. Uh, so this could be like a potential sector that will be uh, capturing women. Tell us about the data that you're going to look at specifically. What's, your, what's going to be your measure 
or your measures of labor market outcomes for all these people? So we want to measure everything at the local labor market level, which is a geography unit in Peru, a province. So what we want to, to measure is what happened with employment and labor force participation of both men and women. One feature of this data is that we can include in both measures, employment and labor force participation, the informal and the formal sector. So when I say labor force participation, it's basically a person is actively looking for a job or it's employed. It could be in the informal or the formal sector. So we get this China shock. What do you find? On average, when the China shock hits, um, you see a negative effect on employment for all workers. That this, um, it's, it's very concentrated in the short run between 2001 and 2005, but it persists even 10 years after the shock. Let's talk first about the men. Not because I think they're important, but it's only because everybody else has only talked about the men. What do you find when it comes to men? For the men, I find similar things that what the literature has found uh, for the U.S. and other rich countries, which is that they were affected in the short run negatively. But the shock doesn't persist for them. So they are able to reallocate to other manufacturing industries eventually. The intuition is that the expanding industries are male-dominated. Uh, for instance, a man loses his job in furniture manufacturing and can easily go to a job in the primary metal industries that is very, very male-dominated. For male workers, Peru looks similar to other countries. Pamela's really big contribution is what she does next. She zeroes in on what happened to Peru's women to explain how the China shock had a different impact on this other incredibly important part of Peru's labor market. The story for women is sad. Women are affected at the same rate as men in the short run, negatively affected. But the difference becomes that this shock is very persistent for them. So 10 years after the China shock, these women are still having the losses of employment that men do not have anymore. Women were not able to reallocate within the manufacturing sector. Remember, the expanding sectors were very male-dominated. They are able to reallocate to the service sector, which have a higher ratio of women to men, but only to some extent. Some women are forced out of the labor force altogether. How about education? What's the, what's the role of education? What does that play here? So we look at who were these affected women, and we have information on the education level that they had. So what we see is that all of these effects, these negative effects and the persistence, it's coming from low-educated women that potentially are performing these low-skilled jobs. For high-educated women, the story is different. It's very similar to men. They are affected by the China shock, but they eventually are able to reinsert themselves into manufacturing. What's going on just in the background in terms of women's labor force participation during this time period? Is that making it inadvertently difficult as well? Labor force participation is growing for women in this period, which makes it more difficult for the women that are being laid off to be reinserted into other sectors in the labor force. 
Pamela has this really important set of results. In Peru, many of the sectors facing competition from these Chinese imports employ a lot of women. In sectors like apparel, it is women that are disproportionately losing jobs. For other reasons, this period is also characterized by more and more women entering Peru's labor force for the first time. This makes it even more difficult for women losing jobs to find new jobs. They just face more competition. Finally, the growing sectors in Peru, the ones with the good jobs, just do not employ a lot of women. Put all this together and some women end up moving to work in the informal sector, which is dominated by low quality jobs. And even worse, some women lose their jobs and leave the labor force altogether. The most hurt are Peru's less educated women. If policymakers really want to help women adjust, they also need to understand what other difficulties these women face. If you had all the data in the world, what question would you ask next? I would want to have data on what are the women's outside options in the household. How much do they pay for childcare? Do they have help? So women are most likely to make the trade-off between working in the, in the labor market or working in the household. So I would want to know why women are leaving the labor force altogether that is not related to labor demand reasons. Let's talk about policy. We know we need to do better as policymakers helping with the adjustment process. What would your research suggest are lessons to help policymakers better target adjustment policies to help workers? The lessons are that we need to think about the distributional gains of trade in terms of workers. And one of the dimensions that we need to think carefully of, it's uh, gender as well. Not because productivity-wise, women and men are going to be different, but that they face different frictions, how easy they can reallocate to jobs in the economy. Women and men are facing different frictions in order to reallocate their employment because of the initial composition of women and men in a particular sector. And could be also because of the women and men are having different outside options or where women are more in charge of the well-being in the household. I think one lesson from this study is that gender becomes a dimension that policymakers should consider when they are design these targeting policies to alleviate the redistributional effects of trade. Pamela, thank you very much. Thank you so much. To wrap things up, there is a lot to learn about Peru's experience with the China shock. First, Peru is richer today and has gained from China's entry into the WTO we haven't gone through all the benefits, of course, but let me mention a few. Peru's consumers do like much cheaper clothes. This makes them better off. Access to imported inputs makes other Peruvian companies more competitive. 
China's demand for commodities raised prices and helped some of Peru's exporters in other sectors. Then, as we learned from Pamela's research, some Peruvian apparel firms did adjust to start specializing in high-end clothing with this Pima cotton, including for new export markets. At the same time, Peru's workers were forced to adjust. Just like in other countries, not everyone in Peru gained from the new opportunities to trade. And in Peru's workforce, women suffered more than men. One reason why this research is so important is because the results are very different from what happened when countries like the United States were hit with their China shock. For me, a lesson from all this is that every country has its own problems and challenges associated with trade. The United States was not alone in, quote, suffering from the China shock. The China shock also doesn't mean that we shouldn't trade. It does mean that we need to help local policymakers, whether that be in the United States or in Peru, focus on the domestic policies best suited to tackle the problems specific to their local environment. And to figure out those specific problems, we need more research. Research from amazing economists like Pamela Medina Quispe. And that is all for Trade Talks. A huge thanks to Pamela Medina Quispe at the University of Toronto. Do check out her Pima Cotton paper titled Import Competition, Quality Upgrading, and Exporting, Evidence from the Peruvian Apparel Industry. And don't miss her second paper titled Import Competition and Gender Differences in Labor Reallocation. That one is joint with Hani Mansour and Andrea Velasquez. You can find links to both of these papers in the show notes on the Trade Talks website. Thanks to Melina Kalb, our supervising producer. And thanks, as always, to Colin Warren, our audio guy. Do follow us on Twitter. We are on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because when it comes to papers about Peru being impacted by the China shock differently from the United States, two is better than one. And as a bonus for anti-dumping nerds, here's more from my conversation with Pamela. Did Peru turn to those types of policies to actually stop the imports from coming in? They tried. The Association of Apparel Firms in Peru, several times during the first years after China acceded to the WTO, tried. There was a case in 2003 where there were some 200-day temporary safeguards that eventually they were off because they found no damage to the national industry. Okay. And you're going to tell us today about why there was no damage to, to the domestic industry. Amazing. There's no reason why you should know this about me. Um, but this is like 2005. I created this thing called the Global Anti-Dumping Database. So aside from you and your friends, there's probably nobody in the world more excited <laughs> about the story of Peruvian anti-dumping than me uh, because I have it in the database 